Babylon seemed to be absolutely invulnerable. And yet God brought it down. So this is the, the this this was Babylon, that she was proud, glorified herself. She um, pursued self gratification. In other words, she lived essentially. She was self sufficient, arrogant. You know, thought that nobody could take her down. Well, God responds this way in verse eight. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine. And she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. This calls our attention to the suddenness of the destruction, and it's going to be destroyed by fire. The Greek is interesting. It speaks of a fire unlike anything anyone's ever seen. In fact, so great is the grief, the mourning, when she's destroyed, it's counted as part of the plague along with death and famine. We're talking about something absolutely spectacular in scope when God destroys the city. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. You know, the Bible says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I believe that we should do as Paul said in Romans 12 with our enemies. He said, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. In other words, give it to God. That's his place. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. That's just an idiom for another way of saying you'll bring him to repentance. And you want to, you want to kill your enemies? Kill them with kindness. Love them to death. Do good to them who mistreat you. And if you do that there's an excellent chance you're going to bring them to repentance. That's what that whole coals of fire on the head signifies. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what we're supposed to do toward our enemies. Now, those that don't repent and come to Christ, well, God will take care of them someday. And so I'm not one to advocate going after anybody. I don't advocate hurting abortion doctors. I, I don't advocate um, hurting homosexuals, or I, I don't advocate any violence against anybody, except, of course, to protect my family. If an intruder breaks in, I mean, you know, uh, there's a balance. But the idea is that God is going to someday bring judgment on those that have, you know, hurt his people, have uh, blasphemed his name, and so on. Verse 9, The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her 
will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. Now commentators prior to the nuclear age read this and they said, look, there's no way a city can fall or be destroyed in a single hour. Therefore, the language has got to be allegorical. Well, of course, we know differently today, don't we? And in fact, I believe that something nuclear is in view here since the destruction of this entire city does happen in a single hour and people are standing afar off for fear of her torment. You know, not wanting to get too close probably because of all the radiation, standing afar off watching the thing smolder and going, wow, that's bad, you know? Alas, alas, the great city, the mighty city was wiped out, you know? Verse 11, And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. The word translated weep means a loud lamentation. It means to wail and howl, as opposed to a kind of a silent sobbing kind of a weeping. Uh, note why they are weeping, though. They're not weeping over their sins. They're not really even weeping over the fact the city is wiped out. They're weeping over the fact that they have lost valuable customers. God has brought an end to their life of luxury and wealth. And so, so that we don't spiritualize this whole thing, the Holy Spirit, writing through John, goes on to list 28 items of merchandise that comprise the merchant's cargoes. Verse 12 and 13, merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, uh, and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of, of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil. And of course, because oil is mentioned twice, some believe it could also be a reference to petroleum oil. We don't know. Fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. The Holy Spirit took the time to list all of these commodities to show us that they are literal commerce, and therefore that this city is also a literal city. It's one of the little clues we can pick up that we're not talking about just a world system. What's in view right here is a literal city. The headquarters of the world system, yes but a literal city that is engaged in worldwide commerce. I want you to also take note that all of these items, they're all luxuries. There are no necessities. It gives us a picture of how in the end, in the days just prior to Christ's return, you're going to have unbridled materialism across the face of the earth that's going to control the people of the world prior to Jesus coming back and destroying this entire, this capital city, and then eventually, of course, the whole one world government. It just reminds us of what Solomon said in the book of Proverbs, verse 11, uh, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And what James said in chapter 5 when he said, come now, you rich, weep and howl for your mis uh, miseries that are coming upon you. 
Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Um, how foolish that people will store up treasures when the wrath of God is about ready to be revealed. Last on the list, I think, is most disturbing. Some of the things that these merchants are trafficking in is the bodies and souls of men. It has been estimated that one-third of Rome's population was enslaved. One-third of Rome's population was enslaved. It was not unusual for 10,000 human beings at any given day to be bought and sold in uh, the markets across the Roman Empire. Many have estimated that 60 million people in the Roman Empire were slaves. And again, they were treated like furniture, bought and sold, used and abused. It was pathetic. Some have suggested that what John is saying here is that during the reign of the Antichrist, you're going to see a return to slavery. You say, is that possible? Yeah, I think it's very possible. I don't think it takes much imagination to, to see that the Antichrist is going to enslave people. Uh, he's going to probably institute universal slavery again. We have already seen how that he's going to make the whole world at one point take his mark, whereby without they can't buy or sell, and they must worship his image. Those people that, and I think it's reasonable to imagine that those that don't take the mark or worship his image are going to be placed into forced slavery until they're killed. At very least, I know this, the Antichrist is going to enslave the people of the world through their own lusts by offering them the opportunity to glut themselves on the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Didn't John say that all that is in the world is those three things? Why? Because the devil controls the world system, and he knows that he can control people very effectively through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. But John says these things are not of the Father, they're of the world, and the world is rapidly passing away and all the lust of it. So don't get entangled with that junk, but get close to God. But the Antichrist is going to promise freedom. You know, isn't, isn't that the cry of the world? You rigid, sad Christians, you can't have any fun. You are in such bondage. Me, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. And that is exactly what the Antichrist is going to promise people. The freedom to do whatever they want when it comes to indulging their flesh. And people will go for it like crazy. Not realizing that the freedom he promises is really bondage. As Peter said, 2 Peter 2.19, While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also is he brought into bondage. And Peter was talking about false teachers. But the Antichrist will be the ultimate false teacher. Well, verse 14. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. 
Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, uh, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. The merchants lament because their materialistic passions can no longer be fulfilled. In fact, the weeping that begins here is going to wind up lasting for these folks throughout all eternity. Because Jesus said in Matthew 13, verses 49 and 50, So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into a furnace of fire. There will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 22, verse 13, Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Folks, it's the classic example of what Jesus warned not to do. When he said, what would it profit a man if he gains the entire world but loses his own soul? He says, don't do that. The devil will love to throw material things your way in exchange for your soul. But even if you could somehow gain the entire world, it's not worth your soul. Because the world is temporary, your soul is eternal. And yet people every day sell their eternity, sell their soul for a bowl of pottage, you might say. I mean, just frivolous stuff. When God is offering them the greatest gift they could ever be offered, eternal life, with Him in heaven. But they are rejecting it every single day. Verse 20, While the world is weeping and mourning, <laughs> what did God say to His people? Rejoice over her, O heaven! And you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Notice, and this is how it always is, the world weeps when it should be rejoicing, and the world rejoices when it ought to be weeping. Why is that? Because, as the Bible says, woe unto those who call evil good and good evil. What the world calls good, God calls evil. And what the world calls evil, God calls good. So when God destroys evil, the world thinks that good is being destroyed. Hey, what's better than wealth? Power, you know? And so, while the people of this world are wailing and howling that their luxuries have been removed, well, from Babylon, but it's spread into the whole world. They know that their time is up too. God is telling his people in heaven, rejoice. I told you the time was coming when I was going to avenge you. Remember the souls under the altar in chapter 6 and chapter 7? God says, be patient. Their day is coming, and here it has come. I think it's important for us to realize from this that we as God's people need to be constantly looking at the events of this earth from God's perspective. That's very important, especially in these days in which we're living. I don't care what happens this November. I care. But you know what? God's on the throne. And I'm just going to see it. I'm going to pray. I'm going to vote. But I'm going to trust that whatever happens, God's in control. And that this world is terminal. The last days, evil men will grow worse and worse, as the Bible says. But don't fret, because the meek will inherit the earth when Jesus returns. 
Verse 21, Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence in the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of a bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery... Again, the Greek word pharmakia, we get our word pharmacy or pharmaceutical from that Greek word. But it also talks about uh, the drugs that were used to induce altered state of consciousness to get in touch with spirits and things. Sorcery, witchcraft. I mean, not only will the Antichrist have a hold on people economically, he's going to have a hold on them spiritually. And much of his whole deal is going to be spiritual deception, not just the... You know, the lure of economic or materialistic gain. Verse 23, The light of, the, of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of, a, of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, and by your sorcery all the nations were deceived, and in her was found the blood of prophets and saints, and of all who were slain on the earth. Now the question is, when did apostles die in Babylon in Iraq? You say never. Well, that's why many commentators don't believe we're talking about here literal Babylon in modern-day Iraq. But let me just say this, and I don't want to confuse you. We're talking about a literal city here, the capital of the world empire. But remember one thing. Babylon is not just a place. It's a stronghold. It's the stronghold of the devil and his demons. It's kind of like their headquarters, wherever Babylon happens to be. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, the city of Babylon actually got to start at the Tower of Babel with Nimrod, who became the first cult leader, the first man to organize the first false religion on the face of the earth. That Tower of Babel, which God came down and confounded their languages and the people were spread across the face of the earth, that place became Babylon. Now, when Babylon fell, the priests of Babylon moved the whole false system to Pergamos. Remember we talked about this in Revelation, I think it was 2 or maybe 3, where Jesus said to the church at Pergamos, I know where you dwell, even where Satan's throne is. Because the whole Babylonian system had been moved to Pergamos, about 278 B.C., somewhere around there. Well, in about the 4th century A.D., the whole thing moved to Rome because the priests always followed the money and the power. And Rome became, uh, well, it had become long before that, but it had be, become the world power center. So eventually, the Babylonian system of worship migrated to Rome. It got mixed with Christianity and became Roman Babylonianism or the Roman Catholic Church. But I believe it's going to eventually, when Rome is destroyed, going to be going to move to new Babylon in modern-day Iraq, a rebuilt Babylon. And so when we talk about Babylon, who is responsible for killing so many saints and the prophets and the apostles of God in particular, we're talking about a system that started in, at the Tower of Babel and has moved all over the world, basically, in different forms, but is responsible for the death of all of God's true saints especially those 
that God singles out like the uh, prophets and apostles. Now, look, I know that, and we've touched on this already, but, you know, some would say, well, are you sure literal Babylon is going to be rebuilt in Iraq? I mean, are you sure about that? No, I'm not. I'm definitely not sure about that. I think it's very possible and maybe even probable, depending on the prophecies. Zechariah 5, verses 5 through 11, talks about this final evil that moves to the land of Shinar. That's Babylon in the last days. And it's going to become the final place, the final capital of the evil of the world. It's going to be focused there. And Shinar, of course, is literal Babylon. And so I believe that that's what we're going to see, that um, in the last days, you're going to see Babylon rebuilt, become the capital of the Antichrist empire, but God is going to wipe it out. And you know what? We can rejoice because someday, as we read here, God is going to so destroy the world system, as what Babylon represents, so utterly. It's going to, like, it's, like it's, he's going to throw it in the sea and no one's going to even remember it anymore. In preparation, of course, for a new system that will be established. In other words, a new kingdom when Christ returns. And um, the only way believers will be hurt by this destruction of Babylon as the world system will be to the degree that Christians have invested their lives in the materialism of the world. Didn't Jesus say, you know, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth rust destroy, thieves break in and steal, but instead lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, right? It's a lot of Christians laying up for themselves treasures on earth, even though they know better. You say, can't I have a nice house? Can't I lay up for my retirement? Of course you can. I think the Bible tells us to be, be responsible and, and lay up things for the future. But there's a difference between laying up for yourselves things to survive in the future and then building a kingdom for yourself on the earth right here and now. I mean, where's your, most of your time and resources going to? Is it the work of God or is it a kingdom for yourself on the earth? And some Christians, when God raptures his church and destroys the world, they're going to, be, they're, they're going to lose everything on the earth. I mean, they'll be saved, but they won't have anything to show for their time on the earth when they stand before the Lord. I want to just finish by um, reading you something that J. Vernon McGee uh, said, and I think this is, was real significant, okay? As we look at, uh, well, let me read it to you. As we contemplate the destruction of Babylon, he said, we think of other great cities and civilizations of the past which have fallen. One of the most widely read books of all time is The, the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, written by Edward Gibbon in 1788. Listen to this. He gives five basic reasons why that great civilization withered and died. Number one, the undermining of the dignity and sanctity of the home, which is the basis for human society. Number two, higher and higher taxes, the spending of public money for free bread and circuses for the populace. Number three, the mad craze for pleasure, sports becoming every year more and more exciting, more brutal, but also more immoral. Number four, the building of great armaments when the real enemy was within, the decay of individual responsibility and morality. And number five, the decay of religion, faith fading into mere form, losing touch with life, losing power to guide the people. 
McGee says the oft-heard warning that history repeats itself has an ominous meaning to this generation in the light of what he has just talked about. Boy, it mirrors our society, doesn't it? Look, the world is terminal. We know that. We know that. The Bible says that. The real question tonight is, are you a citizen of Babylon or are you a citizen of New Jerusalem? That is the only question that really matters tonight. The only thing that really matters is, are you a citizen of Babylon? In other words, do you belong to the world system? Or are you a true believer in Christ? And is your name written in heaven? Are you a citizen of New Jerusalem? And all I can say, and I realize that there are going to be many others hearing my voice on CD and even on the radio that are going to hear me say this, so I'm talking to a lot of people. If you're not sure that you've given your heart to Christ, I would make sure tonight. I wouldn't let another moment pass without making sure that I have truly put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that I have invited him into my heart to be my Lord and Savior, that I have gotten out of Babylon. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. day, by day.